The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians 15, 14-20. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Kate. Sorry, that was me that distracted Erin. I should never do that. Should never bother the boss when she's up here talking because I was wrong as usual. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so, I uh, hope y'all are doing well this morning, and um, you know, I am enjoying, it's funny, this season of life with uh, my two boys, and um, some of you have gotten to know them, and uh, if, and you may have been this way, it's funny when people ask them, hey, what's your, what's your favorite sport, what are you enjoying, they're, they're always seasonal, you know, it's like a Whatever season it is, they love it, right? And I think that's great. It's not just one thing. It's like, so right now it's baseball, and pretty soon it'll be football. They're kind of moving out of that. Or, you know, the Preds playoffs coming up. They'll love hockey. You know, you just kind of get in whatever it is, and uh, they love that. And uh, I know that my older son is like a walking sports center. Like, he is legit. If you asked him, I'm serious— if I, if I think something, he is usually more right than I am because he keeps up to date so often. And he was just so excited about the NFL draft. Uh, so that, you know, uh, NFL draft was just this last weekend. And some of you are sports fans. Some of you are like, I don't really follow that. But it's a, it's a huge deal for, you know, teams to pick their people and all that kind of thing. Well, I remember reading a, a, a quote, you know, kind of, uh, it was very interesting to me, <clears throat> uh, an article re- rather, but by a guy named Rich Cohen. I don't know if you read Rich or listen to him. Sports guy, uh, analyst, wrote an article some years ago uh, about kind of the NFL and, um, and it, it kind of his take on it. He wrote it, it's called uh, A Journey to the End of Football. Now, I want you to hear this because it was fascinating. It, it, it's, it's interesting what he says. Now, Canton, Canton, Ohio, which is where the um, NFL Hall of Fame is, this is what he's describing. Canton's Holy of Holies is a dimly lit circular room lined with busts of anointed, starting with Sammy Baugh and Curly Lambeau, and ending for now with Cortez Kennedy, Curtis Martin. I compare the mood in this room where grown men in their jerseys wander among stones, stone heads, somber, serious, even a little sad, to the mood at a national memorial like, their Lincoln Monument, as they say, where we bear witness to some of the crucial American moment. As I've, <clears throat> as I've hinted, football is a religion, a shared history of victories and defeats. It's all some people care about, 
Perhaps the sadness in the hall comes from the sense that even religions, especially pagan ones, can die. You know what is interesting about that article? Is as we sit in a church, and we just had Easter a couple weeks ago, as Frankie mentioned, what, 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 why does this matter? Why does this matter? Is it like anything else in life where we kind of go through the seasons? Uh, we enjoyed the Easter season. Now we're going to enjoy uh, possibly one coming up in December. We have Christmas season. We have different things. It, it, what, what matters about this? You know, one of the things that's funny, and you should think about this for every speaker you hear, uh, this is kind of behind, and if you pu do public speaking at all, uh, there is a, a little thing that is, people always say, the so what question. Every time I prepare a sermon, <clears throat> I'm always wanting and needing to answer, so what? You know, I can talk about all this all day long, but so what? Why does it matter? Here's the question. As we celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, and we've met for two weeks now, what does it matter? Does the resurrection matter? Or does it come and go and we have our moments and parts of Christianity live on in us? But is it just like anything else where it, you know, has its high points and we wear our jerseys as, as the thing says? I, I love how Rich describes that. Perhaps the sadness comes from even the sense that uh, even religions, especially pagan ones, can die. What makes Christianity distinct? And I know you're thinking right now, I know you're going to jump ahead. Well, the resurrection, it doesn't die. Jesus does. But why? If that's true, if that's where your mind may have gone, which it should, that Jesus didn't stay dead, that is the unique difference of Christianity or following Christ, being a follower of Jesus than any other philosophy, religion, ideal, then shouldn't it transform us? Shouldn't it matter in a way that it touches everything we think about, everything we do, everything we believe? Shouldn't it do that? Shouldn't it push for that? Well, we're revisiting a passage, um, and actually a chapter again, that we actually looked at at Easter. And we're finishing our three-part series in, uh, on the resurrection itself. You know, the first week was uh, on Easter. We talked about the story of the resurrection. Last week, we heard from Lyric Fesco about the evidence of it. This week, we're going to finish by saying, why does it matter? How does it impact us? And we're going to ask it in three ways that I think Paul draws out. And there's a lot of ways. We could spend weeks on this, these verses from this passage. But he talks about our past, our present, and our future here. He talks about how is our past addressed? How do we live in the present and what is our real hope for the future? So our past, present, and future. You know, if you notice, um, even from these small verses of this chapter, it, this chapter's written as an argument, right? You can kind of see the logic in the way that Paul talks. Well, if then, it's all this if then kind of argumentation, uh, that if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Uh, if then, if we found to be false witnesses about God, for if we testify that God has raised Christ from the dead, but if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. He keeps going back and forth. And one of the lines that he says in here first is, he says in verse 17 and 18, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile 
and you're, you are still in your sins. Still in your sins. You know, what this addresses is that, that our past is being addressed here. That the resurrection matters because everything about your past matters. Uh, there's an old movie, uh, it's kind of a tough one, but I remember the line from it, 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 over and over, the tagline was, you may be done with your past, but your past is not done with you. I mean, that's not a real, like, it doesn't sound like a rocket science, but I remember thinking that in this movie, and, uh, and I was going, man, that really is true. I mean, isn't that why we're all in therapy? Uh, therapy is that. What we're doing when we, we revisit those things that we know are wired in us, and the ways and patterns that we have, our past isn't finished with us. Our family systems, all those things that we talk about in everyday life, our past isn't finished with us. And the argument here is that if the resurrection isn't true, then we are still found in those things. We are still working to make our way out of them. As he says, you are still in your sins. He uses this language, to be in your sin. That means you're still with, found in that life. The things, the patterns that we come to confession for, and even if you're here and maybe you're kind of a, 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 someone who's dabbling in Christianity or maybe revisiting it after being uh, in the church before, uh, one of the things that confession does is it forces you to say, what are the parts of my life that really need to be addressed? What, how are those actually addressed? If Jesus is, and this is what Paul's saying, if Jesus was a great teacher about our sin and a great uh, author of that, and he died but didn't rise from the dead, then what does it say about the things that we, how do we address our sin? What power do we have over them? We don't have any way to address this. We're still found in them, and we're still utilizing Jesus as a great teacher, philosopher, or someone who's bringing those ideals to help us manage them again, right? somebody who's dealing with them. One of my favorite uh, bands, I, I love this band, uh, Mumford and & Sons, uh, and, and one of my favorite songs of theirs, uh, Roll Away Your Stone, you know that song? Great song. But it, it, listen to the, the tagline of it. Roll away your stone, I'll roll away mine. Together we can see what we will find. Don't leave me alone at this time, for I'm afraid of what I will discover inside. I, I do love that song so much, but what, what it, it really is talking about, there's a lot of debate about what the song's about. But I think what, what, what it really drives to is, if the resurrection is simply some, some story made up and didn't ever really happen, and we're still left with Jesus there, and the resurrection is a, is a figmentation of, or it's something, we just need Jesus to resurrect in our hearts. As the song says, roll away your stone, I'll roll away mine. But don't leave me alone at this time, because I'm still afraid of what I'll find and discover inside. We still are dealing with what is here. And we have to manage it ourselves. The resurrection doesn't deal with your sin. And, and notice the language that Paul uses here. You are still in your sins. The word in is a preposition that he uses intentionally. It's not just that he was just writing. He was like, well, how do I write this? When he meant in your sins, it means you're still found in those things and in the shame and in the guilt that you can't get past. You know that, and I don't know if you're that kind of person, but when we come to confession or when you find yourself uh, praying to the Lord about sin, I wonder if, you, if you're the kind of person, and I can be this way too so at moments, where, where you go back to the same thing over and over again. 
you kind of like, I'm going to just, uh, you find yourself confessing the same kind of thing or same kind of strand of things. Those things that just kind of come back. You find yourself in them because they have that power. You feel that power over you. But what Paul is saying here is that the logic is that Jesus died. If we, if, if we didn't, find, if we find ourselves still in our sins and not in Christ, which he writes right after this, what do he say? If only for this life we have hope in Christ. So you either find yourself in your sin or in Christ. How can we find ourselves in Christ if he remained in the grave? Because what happens is the power of sin still looms over you and holds you and grips you. This is the nature of what's called the substitutionary atonement. This is the nature of what Paul is saying, that you have a substitute for that. That we still love to carry our sin. I've mentioned this before, but I've had a number of conversations with people that especially today in our climate, we are wanting, wanting and actively trying to deal with our guilt and shame so that we can deal with the things we see in our lives that are wrong. But often when I've had the conversation of, hey, Jesus is the payment, is the substitute for you. It's like, I don't, why do I need a substitute? I think I can handle this. It comes up often. But you and I know that, that you can't ultimately handle that. There's a payment you can't have. There's not enough earnest. Uh, I, I went to a, uh, a church staff event in East Nashville during Christmas. And it was like a little Christmas party we had for our staff and parked over there and did the whole scanning thing. You know, you park in the lots now and it's really great. You scan it, QR code, just like everybody uses now. And uh, <clears throat> I remember literally a month and a half later, um, I get a ticket in the mail. And I'm just, the immediate response is like, oh, uh-uh, no, no. <laughs> That's my first response. No way. And um, I call them and I start talking to them on the phone. Well, like, yeah, would you park here? Yeah, I parked here. Here's the ticket. Here's the thing. And I pull it up. I, I looked at my phone and it gives you those text receipts. And I said, hey, here's my receipt. I mean, I have it right here. And so, and, and that's usually where most of us land is we're like, hey, I've, I got this right here. But here's what happened it was fascinating. They go, they say, well, you know what? You may have a receipt and you got a ticket, but we have no record of you even basically parking here at all. <laughs> Something happened in between where in their system, my whole like transaction was just gone. They were like, don't worry about it. it, it it's not even there. Where did it go? It could have been me saying, here's my ticket. I paid for that. But it was absorbed into them. They had to eat the cost. I basically got parking for free, which isn't that how it should work everywhere? But that is exactly what's happening here. It's not so much, and many of us are like, hey, I've, I've got the receipt. I've, I've done my earning. You know what this is saying is, if we're still in our sins, it's not enough just to have the receipt. What it's saying is that the Lord Jesus raised from the dead so that you are no longer in your sin. You are not identified any longer by your sin. By the thing that every day, not just the things that you can confess and move on from, but the thing that you literally identify yourself with that you say, I hate 
this about myself. I hide from every single person because of this. If Jesus did not raise, you are still found in that. But because he did, you're no longer in that sin or in any sin. You are no longer a sinner in him. You are now in him. You're united with him. You know, when we come to this table, it's called communion. Communion means what? With union, together, communion. You're not just communing with one another, you're actually communing with the Lord. That union is yours. You're found within Jesus. It means in his life, when he lived a perfect life, you received that righteousness. When he died, that penalty that was due you and supposed to be on you and me for our sin, he took. And when he burst from the grave, he stamped the fact that you are no longer found in sin. The power of sin is broken the reign of it being in your life is taken off the throne and now you are in Christ and can live in him. You know the song that we sing, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears and rise. It's a very famous song. Arise, my soul, arise. I love that song, it's great. How can we sing that song? If our sin only matters, can any of us sit there with integrity and sing, arise my soul, arise? Now, I'm not saying there are moments where you sit and your sin is so overwhelming or your life is so crushing that it is hard to even vocalize that song. That is very true in many of our lives. But you know what is even more so? Is the fact that even if we can't verbalize the song, that song is our reality. To arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears and rise. I am reconciled, that song says. His pardoning voice I hear. Because you're no longer in your sin, you're in Jesus. Your past is taken up in him. Okay, so many of us may hear that and go, okay, that's sweet, that's great. But someone might say, that's kind of sentimental. Okay, what if, great, resurrection, maybe a sweet sentimentality helps you deal with your issues of the past. How does it have any bearing on your life now? Right? <clears throat> well, listen to what Paul says, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Okay, so here's what it says. If only for this life we have hope in Christ and he hasn't risen from the dead and we just have hope in him and that's how we live right now, we're the most to be pitied. Our life is kind of pathetic is actually what he's saying. So why does it matter? <laughs> why does it matter? If it's just sentimental and ideal, then how does it, how does it hold? What's, what's the power of it in our life? A.W. Tozer, who's a, a theologian, <clears throat> said it this way. And I like how he said this. He said, there's a little difference in the way that we look at, East, it, it, look at Easter, actually the resurrection itself, rather than <clears throat> Christmas or just even the cross itself. Listen to what he says. Let us be confident that our power does not lie in the manger at Bethlehem, nor in the relics of the cross, 
True spiritual power resides in the victory of the mighty resurrected Lord of glory, who could pronounce after spoiling death, all power is given me in heaven and in earth. All that. It's not just, again, the sentimentality of Christmas or even looking at the cross as a relic or idealized as, as a, just a, a sweet picture of what we believe, but the power, the true power that we live in now is through the one whose death could not hold him. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says this in verse 14 and 15. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And more than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he has raised Christ from the dead. So think about those three things even. The preaching, our faith, we're even being false witnesses to God, who God is. To represent him in that way. Look, to proclaim preaching. If, if there's a way that we're, if we're preaching about these things and talking about them, then we're saying absolutely wrong things. We're proclaiming something that's false. But here's what's interesting about the, the Bible. The Bible's different than me standing up and giving you religious treatises. The Bible doesn't come from the standpoint of the teaching goes first. What comes first? The events go first. The happenings. The impact into their lives. That what drives the preaching isn't, is Christ raised? It's not the other way around, right? It, it, it's not that they're making up some stories for this in order to do that. It, it, there's a great philosophy book on my shelf called Does the Center Hold? I don't know if you have this book. It's actually an old one, but it's an old textbook. And I, I love that because it's actually asking the question of all philosophy. Does the center hold? Is there something in the middle that holds? Because philosophy over time, one of the greatest things about philosophy is that it teaches you to ask great questions. And it, asks, it causes you to say, what is the consistency? And that's actually what should be your question. But what is the most consistent thing that I live by in my life? Does the sinner hold? What is the thing in your life that is the most normalized, consistent thing that you say, I'm going to put my life around that. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to preach it. <laughs> I'm going to live by it. And that is what this argument is, is from Paul is to say, if, if Christ is not dead and he is raised from the dead, our preaching isn't useless and neither is your faith. Because that is what your faith is. Your faith is what you see through. It's the object. It's what you wrap your life around. It's what you believe in. Our faith is connected to all that we do. All of those things. The resurrection touches every part of your life. If the resurrection is true, it changes everything. It changes the way about we see the character of God, that we sometimes think of God, like, as it says, are we then found to be false witnesses of God, that he really treats our sin and our lives that way? How is it often that we find ourselves, and we do, we look at God and his character and we say, who are you? The resurrection is the event that shows us 
that God is serious about his love and care for us. If Jesus proclaimed all these things and is still in the grave, we don't really know if God really cares about us. Isn't that what many of us sometimes ask? We'll ask about our present lives and we kind of can go about our lives that way. We're like, does God really care about me here? But because God knows who we are, he doesn't stop with him going to the grave. He bursts forth so that our whole life is transformed. Think about this. The disciples, when Jesus calls them from whatever work they're doing, from their families, you know, there's all this discussion about drop your nets, uh, leave your your father and mother. Guess what? When, When they did those things, you know, they didn't do that permanently. Some of us read those and are thinking, gosh, that seems extreme. But what, what he's saying is, in order to make sense of all of those things, you need to first follow me. Because what happened is, they went back to all those things. They went back to their work. They went back to their families. You even see that in the Gospels, that they don't leave them permanently, they go back. But they have to go follow Christ in order to make sense of everything. In order to know what does it mean to see my work, my family, my friends, myself? What does it deny yourself and come follow me? Why does he say that? Not to get rid of yourself, but to deny yourself and know now what identity do you make sense of self through? And if Jesus is still in the grave, our identity shouldn't be in anything other than he was a great teacher. But if he's burst forth from the grave as he has, and the resurrection is true, it should cause, just as it did them, to see every part of their life and their death through whom they are in Christ. I love N.T. Wright's great thinker, writer, wrote this about the, the message of the resurrection. The message of the resurrection is that the world matters, that the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, it is only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming our hearts. (laughs) Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory over them all. Take away Easter and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material world. Take away Take it away, and Freud was probably right to say Christianity is a wish fulfillment. Take it away, and Nietzsche was probably right to say it was for wimps. The resurrection matters. The resurrection is what we stake our life on, what we live in, why we meet every Sunday. Frankie alluded to this earlier. They moved the day of worship. Maybe many of you have heard this, from Saturday to Sunday. And you see this in the, in the Bible, in, in the book of Acts. And the reason they moved the entire day of worship from Saturday to Sunday is because they worshiped on the day 
that the Lord Jesus raised from the dead, that we're not celebrating Easter as a seasonal event. But week by week, we come on what was known as the first day of the week so that our vision is transformed to see the rest of our week through whom we are in the risen Christ. Your work, your family, yourself, all fun flows through that. That is your present. I mean, what, <clears throat> what about our future? What's our hope? When I was a, a youth uh, minister years ago in Texas, I had a um, number of great students I loved. And one, I remember um, precious girl in Dallas, Texas. She had leukemia and passed away. And um, it was such an incredible, uh, I'm not saying this, you know, um, nostalgically, it was such a beautiful, incredible moment. Because in our church at Park City's Presbyterian Church, where I worked at the time, packed the entire place to celebrate her. And the, what they said on the, the event wasn't her funeral, it wasn't a memorial. <clears throat> It was called Callie's Heaven Send-Off. And you know, when he f finishes this passage, what we just read, it says this, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're all, all of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Callie wanted, her, in fact, that was her wish. She wanted it to be called a Heaven Send-Off. Because she knew that if there is no hope for what's in the future, if it's just a past thing and addressing our sin, a present thing of making us live wonderfully now, and there's no future of what this is, then why call it a heaven send off? And that's what Paul's getting at here. If it's only for this life we have hope, we're the most people to be pitied. If hope ends here and ends with death, what does it matter? You know, at the end of her heaven send-off, you know what she had everybody give? Everybody walking out was given a coupon for a free ice cream at her favorite ice cream place. One of my favorite things, she, and it was, happened to be mine too in Dallas. She was like, I want everybody to walk out of there knowing. And, and you know why she did that? This is a high school student. Because she wanted everybody to go taste the ice cream in recognition of this is a taste that's going to be enhanced to the glory of God. That our tastes and richness that we get to have now, the pleasures that we get to enjoy in this life are a mere taste of what is ahead of us. This is why Paul says that Christ is the of, of the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It means that they've fallen asleep. The first fruits was that agricultural language to say Jesus is not just a one-off resurrection. He is the first resurrection of all of ours. That we don't have like this weird soul sleep where we go to bed and wake we will have literal bodily resurrections. It's not less physical, it's actually more. 
that the ice cream we will taste in the future will just be rich. And the jobs of our bodies now are to bear our souls. Sometimes there are a lot of beautiful bodies with very hideous souls and sometimes the other way around. What the resurrection says is your whole self is going to be transformed. Whole self. I love how, and I heard this from, I got the name of this guy from uh, Tim Keller. I read some years ago, uh, a Sri Lankan Christian man named Vinoth Ramanchandra. (laughs) Couldn't make that one up. This is what he says. Biblical salvation is different. It lies not in an escape from this world, but in the transformation of it. You will not find hope for this world in any of the other religions or philosophies of humankind. The biblical vision is unique. That is why when people say, don't you think that there is salvation in other faiths? I always say, what salvation are you talking about? Not this salvation. No faith holds out a promise of eternal salvation for the ordinary world that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ do. None of them. You know, this table tells us that very picture. It is the taste, and this is why it is a taste. This is why it's a small cup and a small morsel of bread. Because it is a taste of two things, right? We say this, the proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes again. Our past, our present, and our future taken up in this table. You taste it. You're tasting how your sins have been dealt with by his sacrifice. You take this by faith and the Lord makes it real in you by his Holy Spirit. He actually grows you. Even when you walk up and you're like, and you go back to your seat and you don't even know it, he is working in you in the moments, seconds of every day, even when you don't know it. And he's doing it until he comes again. And we won't just have small morsels. We will eat together at a table where these rich tastes are pointing to and we will be fully satisfied and rejoicing together in what the Lord has done. This is why it matters. Your past, present, and future taken up in who you are in him. Let's stand together.